are listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, Grace Livingston, and welcome to episode 34, Demystifying Subtext. Hey everyone, I'm Grace Livingston. I'm Josiah DeGraff. I'm Rolina Hatfield. And I'm Dea Slam. And I am Hope Ann. And today we're talking about subtext, arguably one of a writer's most powerful tools, but also one of the tools with maybe the most mystery around it. So let's just get right into it. What is subtext? We've mentioned it kind of offhandedly a lot in previous episodes, but what is subtext? For me, subtext is pretty much anything that's implied. It's important parts of your story. It could be pretty much anything, but instead of being outright and saying he's sad or just saying they're afraid of this particular thing, it's implied through a number of manners, descriptions, what they don't say, how they act. It's implied instead of told or shown really bluntly. Yeah, I would sign on to that as well. I uh, really like Hemingway's iceberg analogy for what subtext is in the stories. It's everything that's under the surface. You know, speaking of Hemingway, you know, one of the stories I think of uh, with his whenever I think about subtext is I think about his short story, Hills Like White Elephants, which is a very short story if you're looking for a great short story to read. And it's about a, well, I'd say husband and wife, but it's not terribly clear what their marital status is. Um, but it's about this this man and this woman um, who are, who it's, it's never stated directly what they're talking about, but it's very heavily implied throughout the story that they're talking about an abortion and whether or not the woman should go through with an abortion. It never specifically says what it is. It, the, the most you get is they're discussing some operation, but it's written in such a way where you know, a reader who's able to read between the lines is able to understand, oh, I know exactly what this is about without them directly stating it. And so whenever your characters are talking about something where you want the reader to understand what they're really talking about, but you never directly say what it is they're talking about, you know, that's one of the places where you have subtext in the story. Whenever I think about subtext, I always like to think about actors on a stage um, because it's like that underlying emotion, like that iceberg analogy that you brought up, Josiah. Anything that's like below the surface that you pick up on so like it could be in the setting or the dialogue or even like facial expressions when you're like looking at characters and actors. Say like if someone said, I'll be back, like they could literally just mean like, I'm going to come back. I'm just leaving and coming back. But if someone said, I'll be back, like there's this underlying threat that they're um, implying behind how they're delivering that, that sentence. So it's like this underlying emotion that people in the audience are going to pick up on by watching the setting, the facial expressions just anything in a show. And if you can say that in Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice, it suddenly becomes eons cooler. <laughs> if only I could. I'm sorry. I am really detracting now, but that was the first thing I thought of when you said, I'll be back. I'm not going to do an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice, but that's what I thought of. You should try. That would be fantastic. Uh, I don't think we really need that on this show. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> 
So that's kind of like a great introduction to what subtext is. So my next question is, where all does subtext pop up in writing? Josiah, you mentioned subtext hidden in like characters' dialogues in Hills Like White Elephants. And Rulina, you mentioned like in facial expressions or how something's said. But in a novel, is it just in those places or can you find subtext in other areas? One of my favorite places for subtext is actually to put it in descriptions because you can get so much with just how the point of view character is seeing the scene. Like if they're walking around and if it, they're looking at fence posts and they're comparing the fence posts to like spears in their mind and you can kind of see where the mind is at. Or if the mist is coming around like shrouds, you can they have a completely different mindset or it could be like a wedding veil. So like you can get how they're feeling and kind of a subtext of that through descriptions. And then that just kind of goes into the point of view, voice and character as it is. So one thing I'll say to tag on to that is that I've, as I've been thinking about it, I actually argue that subtext is a bit more of a narrower definition than simply something that's implied. And I'd say that it's something that is implied specifically about a character's thoughts and feelings. You know, because when we're talking about descriptions, there are several things that could be implied in a description. You know, unless you're Tolkien, you're probably not giving a multiple paragraph a description of every scene that you're in. You're often going to be pointing out some key details, the general atmosphere of the scene. You let the readers fill in the rest with their imaginations. But just filling something in with, you know, letting the reader fill in the rest of a setting with their imagination isn't really the subtext of the description. Instead, the subtext of the description is about, you know, as Hope said, what do we learn about a character's thoughts and feelings through it? So I'd say that you can find a, a subtext whenever there's something implied about a character's thoughts and feelings. That could be in their inner monologues if you don't allow all of their thoughts to bleed out on the page, but you allow something simply implied. It can be done via dialogue. That can be done via description. That can even be done via actions. Sometimes a character's actions will imply a lot more about what they're thinking and feeling, even if it's never explicitly stated. Um, so I'd say that in some ways, it can show up anywhere in the story, but it needs to be tied to, to showing thoughts and feelings that aren't being explicitly mentioned on the page. Subtext in fiction, really, you were saying, follows subtext in real life, just like Josiah was just saying, that it's about understanding what a character's thinking and feeling without them really coming out and saying that uh, in black and white. And we experience this all the time in our lives. You say that, I don't know the exact statistic, but something like 90% of communication is nonverbal. And then even the verbal communication we do have, we're often not saying exactly what we think or feel. We're kind of, what I like to say is beating around the bush. Um, sometimes we'll come out and say exactly what we mean. Normally there's a maybe some stress or um, a requirement to be really exact in our language that, that brings that out. But normally we're always very subtextual. And so a good rule of thumb in your fiction is to just try to um, keep that same model. Uh, you can think of it like a pyramid. So on the bottom of the pyramid, it's thicker. At the top, it's thinner. As you climb the period, you get less and less subtextual. So what's the value of subtext? Why is it so great? Or maybe put it another way, what do you lose when you don't have subtext? You lose the most powerful tool you have, which is not one you control. You lose the reader's imagination. Uh, if you fill in all the details, there's no room for them to uh, imagine it, and they can imagine it more vividly than you can describe. So you just want to give them a springboard, enough detail that's that's vivid and beautiful enough for them to launch into the air. 
Yeah, I very heartily agree with what Dea said. Um, I think it's really important for for the reader to be part of the experience of creating the story world because you know a, a good story isn't you know it's not force feeding a the the narrative to the readers. It's allowing the readers to take a part. And when you allow the and you know I think a lot of the times readers really want to take a part in the story, whether it's you know I'm trying to predict what's going to happen. I'm trying to read between the lines to understand there is something about the process. It's about the process of discovery for readers. That readers don't want to be given the whole treasure of the story on a silver platter. They they want, even if they don't realize it, they want to have to do some work themselves to understand it. And I think a large part of it has to do with the process of discovery. The other thing that I'd also mention is that there are some things in fiction that just can't be put into words. And if you try to put everything that your character is thinking and feeling into words, you're going to fail. Because there are some emotions we feel that are so powerful, words alone cannot express them. And that's what I think is one of the reasons why subtext is really important is because you may not be able to put it into words, but you can express a way that the reader can feel it in a deep way that goes beyond words. And that's what I think powerful subtext is able to do. Sometimes I think when we try to put something into words that can't be, the experience feels more false than if we just allow them to connect the dots themselves. Yeah, I'd agree with what both Josiah and Dea said, where one of the biggest aspects of subtext is it brings the reader into the story because they have to be involved. They have to be thinking, even if like normally it is going to be subconscious in their own brain. But when you don't tell them what is all going on and they have to figure out some of it themselves and it's just there and it's implied, they are becoming more invested in the story because of the mental work that they're putting into the story and they're connecting closer to the characters because they are feeling these things. Also, another thing that subtext does is all of our readers are different. And so when we're implying things, each reader might pick up a slightly different feeling, a slightly different, they all get the same idea that this person might be sad, or this person might be feeling these things, or something happened. But they're all kind of, each reader will be putting their own thoughts and their own experiences and their own emotions into it. And so they're able to connect to it closer than if you try to spell it out and make it rigidly. This is exactly step-by-step what they are feeling. How about this question then? Because I love that element of subtext you mentioned, Hope, communicating the gist or framework of a character's feelings, but leaving the reader to sort of fill in the blank some. But this has made me think, is there such a thing as too much subtext? Like, could you go overboard with it? Do any of you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a question I've had to wrestle with quite a lot because I go overboard with subtext often to the point where it's really minuscule hints uh, for things that are actually super important. As people have already mentioned, the joy of subtext is that readers can interpret it slightly differently and it'll be powerful to different readers in different ways. But that's also a weakness if you have some really vital information like a character's goal and a character's motivation. If you leave that entirely as subtext, people might view it differently and that could destroy the logic of your plot. If people don't realize why characters are acting a certain way down the road, when you're thinking they're acting one way and they're thinking they're acting another way, um, they're not going to understand why the plot's evolving, how it is. So don't leave that to subtext. But almost everything you want to leave to subtext, except for the really crucial uh, motivation aspects. Yeah, and I also think that you do need to take the age of your audience also to, into account here. 
um, because with younger audiences, you need to be, you know, it's not that children's books don't have subtext, but you need to be more careful with how you use it. You know, I'd mentioned Hills Like White Elephants before. Um, and that's actually a story that I actually use as a test for my, one of my high school classes each year, where I give them, for the test, I give them the story and ask them to do a thematic analysis of that short story using the tools that we've covered in class so far. And, you know, one of the big questions is, you know, what is this story about? Because like I said, you know, it's a, it's a man and a woman discussing abortion, but it's never explicitly stated. Now, you know, and it's always interesting to see my, my students' answers because, you know, generally speaking, you know, a good two thirds of them can read between the lines and realize, oh, this is talking to abortion about abortion. But there's always a going to be you know, a third of the students that are still struggling with that and get confused. And sometimes there's some pretty wild answers that I've seen from my students about you know what they're discussing. There's some of them like, okay, I can see where you get that. They're like, others were like, I don't know at all how you got that. And you know, I choose that story intentionally because I'm trying to push them you know beyond their comfort zone and give them a story they know is going to be you know more difficult for them. But you know, that's a story that you know for an adult. You know, the subtext is clear and the story makes sense. If I gave this to a you know someone in seventh grade, they would be completely lost and wouldn't be able to get it. You know, eleventh grade is one of those places where they're they're just on the cusp of being able to understand the story. But I think you need to keep the audience, the age of your audience in mind when considering your subtext because that affects what they'll get out of it and how likely they are to get the important elements out of the plot and the characters in the story. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned. Authors often talk about weaving their story's theme into their subtext, but what exactly is a story's theme? How does theme work? And how can you thread a Christian theme into a story without it becoming preachy or cliche? At Story Embers, we're committed to helping Christian storytellers tackle these questions. That's why we've created a comprehensive worksheet designed to help you pin down your story's theme and thread it successfully throughout your story. Visit our resource library through the link in this episode's show notes to download our free worksheet, How to Weave Christian Themes into Your Story, today. Welcome back to our discussion on subtext. We're now heading into the practical application portion of the episode. You all have discussed what subtext is, where it occurs in a story, and what value it brings to the story. But let's move to the application side. We've mentioned weaving something into your subtext a lot in passing on previous podcast episodes, whether it's a character's emotions or motivation. But what does that look like in practice? How do you practically weave something into your subtext? This is the hard question. Okay, so this is just one tool you can use, but irony is a great, great place to start. If there's an ironic situation, that's something that, that even younger people tend to grasp pretty well. Now, you can even kind of be explicit about what the topic's about, but if you state it in an ironic way, it still is subtext because it's something implied um, and it's not expressly stated, but then you can, you can kind of bring up the topic address more explicitly. Another tool you, I think you can use is, and this is specifically dealing with description, since I think different areas of writing require different tools, is when you're describing something from someone's perspective, I think the key to being able to bring across subtext in it is, you know, there's a couple things. One is to use, you know, symbolic language. I don't mean symbolic as in let's create an esoteric symbol, but, you know, colors have a symbol to them. Whether I am describing the barn as being 
crimson or the color of the setting sun or a blood red, each can you know, signify and bring across different vibes to the reader. So I think the colors you use, the weather and what the character notices about the weather, that the language they use is a describing this building in a somber way or in a joyful way or in a nervous, pensive way. All of those things can tell a lot about the character's you know, emotions without directly stating them. So in the specific you know, sphere of descriptions, I think it has to do a lot with choosing the right words and setting the right atmosphere and how you're describing it. Yes, descriptions are amazing at subtext. There's so much, you can tell so much about what a character's feeling. You can tell things about their backstory. You can have them be seeing things, like seeing things that aren't there in the sense that the comparisons they're making between what is happening and in their mind, like they hear thunder and one person might compare it to the applause of a crowd and another person might compare it to the snap of a whip. And so you can tell a whole bunch, not just about their current emotional state, but just about who they are. And another way to weave in subtext is symbolism, where you have an item that kind of ends up being equated with a character. I've read a book where it was never explicitly stated, but like when you see doves, you think of this one character because he had doves at one point. And it's just kind of like built up where you see this flower, you think of this character, you see this, you think of this person. If it's a flower and later on another character is looking at holding a crushed flower and you can just like have a whole subtext of emotions of what they're thinking because the, their friend is captured and now he's holding a crushed flower, which symbolizes the friend. And you can do a lot of cool things with emotion. The other thing you can do is just what characters don't say in conversations, which is quite often a lot more powerful than what they do say. So if there's things that they won't joke about, or if there are things that they like start saying and then stop, and you can just get a whole bunch of subtexts about the situation and about what they're feeling about the situation through that as well. I think that last thing you mentioned, Hope, is one of my favorite ways to use subtext in my own stories, is letting the characters say one thing and then letting them act completely opposite of what they just said. Because actually a lot of people in real life will do that. Like they're giving you this sense that they didn't actually mean what they said. They're just saying that because they think that's what I want to hear. And then actually how they're acting is opposite of that. I love weaving that into my stories. And then also I was thinking with descriptions is how much that actually plays into setting. And Josiah kind of mentioned this a little bit, but not even just like the atmosphere or the feeling that you can give readers from how you describe things, but it also plays so much into setting. You can get your readers to sense what's going to happen. Say like if you have an investigator going to question someone in an interview and when they enter the room, if it's all happy and bright and cheerful and the sun is streaming in, you get this sense, this feeling that they feel like this interview is going to go really well. But if you let the character enter the room and it's dark and gloomy and dingy and you give them this feel that this this interview is not going to be so great. So I think that um, subtext can play really well in how you describe. It can give the readers a sense of what's about to happen. A tool I mentioned earlier is what I call beating around the bush. And I really like to use this when it comes to a character's internal monologue. Because a character's internal monologue is the most intimate part of them. It's where we can really expect to hear the truth from them of what's really going on. And so this is uh, an area a lot of less experienced writers, sometimes more experienced writers, 
will kind of info dump how the character is feeling in a in a blander sort of way. But you can still use subtext here in a way that comes across clearly to the reader and they, they know what's going on. And uh, so beating around the bush is not saying exactly what you want to say, but saying everything around it, everything that's close to what you want to exactly say. So that might not make sense. Let me give an example to clarify it. So let's say your character is going in for a job interview. Instead of their, their internal monologue going like, oh man, I'm so nervous. I'm afraid this guy's not going to like me. It could be something more like um, them wondering if they're dressed properly, uh, noticing tiny wrinkles in their shirt, um, remembering when they heard a story about the guy who's going to go interview them and all the details that made him seem not quite the nicest guy. And so those are all things that that really address the issue at hand, but kind of in a roundabout way. And uh, that's actually, I find a lot of the time how, how I think in real life, that I think of all the, the little surface details um, around the really deep core of how I feel, rather than just in simple terms, I feel angry right now, or I feel jubilant. I don't, I don't often think that way. Yeah, and I think beating around the bush is also really critical as well when it comes to dialogue. Um, you know, this is one of the most common comments I make with authors I work with, either writers I'm critiquing or writers I'm mentoring or, you know, or, or just your know, short stories I'm revising um, for the, the stuff we publish here at Story Embers. One mistake I see a lot of newer writers or even writers who are intermediate, but who are still, you know, learning the ropes of subtext doing, you know, is in a conversation, they will very directly spell out, you know, a character's feelings. All right. And, and the issue with that is in real life, it takes people a lot to directly come out and, and say what they're feeling. If you think about, you know, the, the quintessential high school dude who's asking his crush out. Him admitting his feelings to his crush is probably going to be done in a rather roundabout way. You know, unless he's you know, uber confident to just come out and say, you know, here's exactly what I feel about you and so on and so forth, which for certain characters can work. Some characters are very direct. The average high school dude, though, isn't going to be like that. They're going to talk around the bush. It's going to get them a while to get to a point, okay? Or outside of that context, if you have two characters talk about what am I feeling after something really hard happened? Well, unless you have a really, if you think about yourself in real life, unless you have a really deep relationship with someone, you're probably not going to someone that you've only talked to a couple times and spilling your deepest, darkest secrets. That's not going to happen. Even with a really good friend, you, that is not probably going to be the first thing you say. You're going to start talking around it, and it's going, to for, it's going to require that friend to ask you some questions to delve you deeper for you to really get to, well, here is what I'm feeling. And why is this the case? Well, it's a case because as human beings, we don't want to be judged. And we fear that if we say what we're really feeling, other people will hate us. They will judge us. They will think ill of us. And so we will take what we think and we will try to dress it up in language that feels nice. We're going to talk around the bush because one of the hardest things that we can do is to admit our full feelings because we feel that people reject us when we do so. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's really important that in conversations, it should take a, a long time for characters to admit the deepest truths about themselves. Because in real life, it's going to take us a lot to be able to trust someone. And even with people do we trust to feel like we can still admit what we're really thinking in that situation. What are some pitfalls you all have seen others fall into that you'd like to kind of give a word of warning against? The one thing I would add 
when you use subtext, make sure it has a point. Like, it's cool to have, you know, the showing, don't tell, all of that. But you still do have word limits in a book. You can't do that with every single thing. So when you show something through subtext, don't just do it because, oh, subtext, let's, let's show this. Make sure it has a point. Because there are some things in a story that you just have to tell. If, an, if a job interview isn't the point of the story, the point is just that he got rejected, you won't have to go through step-by-step step of the subtext of showing him nervous for the interview and showing him going into the interview and going out. You can maybe show a little bit of subtext at the beginning and then tell what happens and show it at the end. And this is obviously varies as case by case. But just make sure that what you add in with subtext actually needs to be there. Don't just put stuff in there because it, you can and it's cool. Similarly, I would say don't use too much uh, repetitive subtext. This can be a temptation because subtext is subtle and you can fear, oh, what if my reader doesn't get it? I have to use three subtextual descriptions to get across one idea when you really only need one. And so you just have to get over your fear and believe that the reader really can understand what you're saying. Thank you all for coming on, and thanks to all of you listeners who tuned in. What topics would you like to hear discussed on the podcast? Email us at info at storyumbers.org to let us know. And as always, special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Taylor Clarkson and Michael Stanton. Visit patreon.com slash storyumbers or follow the link in this episode's show notes to become a supporter and get access to exclusive Story Umbers updates, swag, and more. Finally, join me again on January 18th as Josiah, Brianna, and Gabby discuss their experiences with professional editing on the next episode of the Story Embers podcast. 